Grab your Bibles, if you would, and let's go to Matthew chapter 7. Uh, we are continuing our series uh, called A Better uh, Treasure. We're journeying through the Sermon on the Mount, and this is a sub-series we're doing called A Better Treasure, uh, Seeking First the Kingdom Above Everything Else. And this morning, I wanna specifically talk about the subject of the power of the kingdom life, the power of the kingdom life. And I think this is important that we know that there is a power available that enables us to live the kingdom life. Uh, this last week, I discovered or rediscovered the importance of power. I was having issues the last couple of weeks with my truck. I noticed it was having a hard time starting, and, and over time, it became uh, harder and harder to start to the point at which it didn't start, and so I'd have to have somebody jump me off, and I would drive to locations, and things would be fine, and over time, uh, three or four stops, it would not start again. A couple of weeks ago, I, had to, I was at a barbershop getting a haircut, and I left pouring down rain. Luckily, there was a church member there because I was stuck in the parking lot, and uh, he bailed me out started my truck and he's like, you need to get your battery checked. So Monday, finally, after two or three weeks of battling this, I went and got my battery tested. I went to AutoZone in uh, Gilmer and they brought the tester out and said, sure enough, you need a new battery. And amazingly enough, they took the old battery, replaced it with a new battery and magically, all of a sudden, my truck ran perfectly. And the problem was I had plenty of gas. I had the engines running fine. The problem was the source of power was missing. Therefore, all that my truck is capable of doing, it was useless because it needed the power source. And here's the reality for all of us. There is a power source that God has provided for us to live the Christian life. And the problem is many Christians are trying to live the Christian life without the power that's available for them to live this life. And this is what we're gonna discover this morning. So grab your Bibles. Matthew chapter seven is where we're gonna be. We're gonna start reading in verse seven. If you're there, say, I'm there. Jesus is this. He says, ask and it'll be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it'll be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds and the one who knocks, it will be opened. Or which of you, who, if his son asked for bread, would give him a stone? Or if he asked for fish, would give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Now, what we have in this passage of scripture here is an invitation to prayer, an invitation to prayer. Now we know that because he uses three descriptive words. He says, ask, seek, and knock. And we know that that's describing prayer because we see later on, he says, which one of you, if your son asks you for something, would you not give him the thing that he's asking for if he needs it? And then he says, if your heavenly father is a good father, then how much more will he give you if you ask him? So we know that this is a, an invitation to prayer. But what I think is important to understand is that this invitation to prayer comes by way of command. Uh, in the original language, when he says, ask, seek, and knock, it's what is called an imperative. An imperative is a simple command. He's telling us to do something. And I love this because Jesus is inviting us to pray, but he's doing so in a command. And it just reminds us of this truth. The commands of God, according to 1 John, are not grievous. The commands that God gives us as believers are for our joy. And so God in his love and mercy is saying to us, pray, ask, seek, uh, knock. He's, he's commanding us to assume the posture of prayer because he knows what is available to us when we assume this posture. That he's inviting us into this relationship 
because he wants to give us something. Now look at the promise that comes with it. Look what he says here in verse number six. He says, for everyone, everybody say everyone. That means no one's excluded. Everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds and the one who knocks, it will be open. So not only is he inviting us into this life of prayer, but he is telling us that if you pray, I will answer. I will provide that which you are asking for. I will provide that which you are seeking. I will open the door that you're knocking on. He gives us this promise that he will answer our prayers. Now, this is amazing here. Not only God command us by way of, or invite us by way of command, but then he says, and when you do this, I hear you. And I'm gonna promise, and I promise that I'm gonna respond to you when you call on me in prayer. Now, here's the dilemma we have here. We have the dilemma here because we see this promise and then we see this end in verse number 11. Look what he says here in verse number 11. He says, if then, if you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask? So he's, he's reinforcing this idea that he hears us when we pray and he answers us when we pray. If we ask, we receive. If we seek, we will find. If we knock, it'll be open. Now, here's the one dilemma with that, because he says at the end, then I'm gonna give you good things. The question is, is that, is this a blank check? How many of you have heard this passage preached before? Raise your hand. I've preached this passage before a number of times, and I promise you this week, I finally, I think I understand what this is about, because here's my dilemma. Like, if this is a blank check, I know, and I know you probably confess this as well, I know there have been things in my life that I've asked God to do for me. I have desires, I've laid before him, requests that I've made, petitions, and I've prayed, and I've prayed passionately, and he didn't give me what I asked. Anybody here part of that club? And then I read this verse, and I'm going, like, either something is wrong with me in the way that I pray, or there's something wrong with God, he doesn't keep his promises, or third option, maybe I don't quite understand the context of the verse. And that's really the heart of the issue. You see, when you understand what Jesus is doing in this passage of scripture, when he says, hey, if you ask, you receive, if you seek, you will find, if you knock, it'll be open, this is an invitation to prayer that he promises he will answer, but this invitation to prayer is in the context of the greater goal of the Sermon on the Mount, which is he is calling us to a kingdom life, which is a life where we seek his kingdom above everything else. You see, this is not an invitation to praying for our wants, needs, and desires. Although, by the way, we have that invitation. He's already included that back when he talked about the Lord's Prayer, when he says, hey, pray like this, give us this day our daily bread. So we know that we can go to God and we can petition for the needs that we have, but that's not the emphasis of this passage of scripture in this verse here. You see, this comes right after this calling that he gives us to seek first the kingdom of God that above everything else in our life, we would yearn for his kingdom to take root in our life and that we would live for and experience and walk in the life of the kingdom. And so this is connected. So when he talks about this, this is not necessarily talking about our wants, desires, and needs, but rather spiritually asking, spiritually seeking, spiritually asking for the kingdom of God to take root in our life so that we are able to live out the kingdom life right here on earth. 
This is the heartbeat of the passage of Scripture. And we know this because we, we see this again in verse nine. Look what he says again in verse nine. Or which one of you, if his son asked for bread, would give him a stone? Now, I know some of you dads, you would actually do that. Um, and you East Texas dads will do the next one. Or if he asked for a fish, would give him a serpent. You think that's a great practical joke. But Jesus is saying normal fathers don't do that. He says, if then, he's assuming we're not gonna do that. If then, you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly father, who is in heaven, give, now circle the next two words, good things to those who ask him. So, let's kind of backtrack of the text. If this is not a blank check for me to ask God for all of my wants, needs, and desires, believing he's gonna give it to me, but rather it's me seeking first the kingdom and asking for a spiritual, uh, a spiritual outpouring of his work in my life in order for me to live the kingdom life, then here's the question we've gotta ask. What are the good things that he promises that if we ask for them, we seek them, and if we knock for them, that he's gonna give us? What are those good things? I think that's important that we ask that question, and here's the dilemma with Matthew. Matthew doesn't really answer the question for us. But Luke does. And you don't have to turn there, but Luke chapter 11, I'm gonna show you in a minute. Let me tell you why we're gonna to go to Luke chapter 11. This is a, everybody eyes right here just for a second. When you're reading the Bible, there are times where uh, you will find what is called parallel passages. Parallel passages means that the, the author or another author is saying the same thing that somebody else is saying, but they're saying it a little different way. So for instance, there's a section in Colossians where Paul is talking about a certain subject and we know he's talking about this subject uh, here. It's very clear. But then in Ephesians, he's talking about the same subject, but he uses different language and different words so that there's different emphasis. He's talking about the same subject, but, in, but for different purposes and different locations, uh, he gives us different insights so that when you lay those verses side by side, they're called parallel passages. They're not discrepancies with one another. They're there so that we have fuller understanding of all that God is teaching us about that particular thing. Does that make sense? So when you're reading the Sermon on the Mount, it's the Gospels, you know that the Gospels are, are telling the story in the life of Jesus with each different author looking at the life of Jesus for, from a different vantage point, writing for a different audience for a different purpose. So Luke emphasizes something, the very same subject, the very same teaching, almost word for word until you get to one phrase or two phrases really. One that's really important. Here's what I mean. Parallel passage. Let's look at Luke chapter 11. Let's see if this sounds familiar. He says, I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. How many of you say that sounds familiar? Say, uh-huh. That sounds familiar. For everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds and the one who knocks, it will be opened. Does that sound familiar? It's almost identical. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead give him a serpent? That sounds familiar. Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion. So what's happening here, most likely Jesus is, is um, using several metaphors. Matthew picks on a, up on a couple. Luke, on the same hearing, the same teaching, or, or being described the same teaching, picks up on another. Listen to verse 13. If you then, who are evil, know how to give you good gifts to your children, how much more, now this is where the change happens, how much more will your heavenly Father give, listen to this, the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? So uh, lay the passages side by side. 
If you then who are good fathers know how to give good gifts to your, your children, how much more will your heavenly father give you good things to those who ask? Luke tells us what the good things are. If you who are good fathers know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more then will your heavenly father give you what? The Holy Spirit, if you ask him. So what is the essence of ask and seek and knock? It is the pursuit of the Holy Spirit to give us power that would enable us to live the kingdom life. This is the heartbeat of the passage. And this is the guaranteed promise. I love this. If you ask, if you seek, if you knock, and you're pursuing the Holy Spirit to fill you and empower you, here is the promise that we need to take to the bank. He will answer. If you ask, you'll receive. If you seek, you will find. If you knock, it'll be open. Why? Because you have a good father and he desires to give good gifts. What are the good gifts? The Holy Spirit to his children. His very presence dwelling in us. And this is the heartbeat and I think the essence of what Jesus is communicating here. Jesus is helping us understand that the kingdom life that he is describing is impossible in and of ourselves. I said this almost through the entire series as we've been in the, the, the book of, of or the, the Sermon on the Mount. I've said this almost every week that I've preached. Like, no one reads the Sermon on the Mount and says, nailing it. Right? I mean, you read the Sermon on the Mount, you're like, love who? Pray, pray for no, no, I'm not gonna do that. I, I don't, 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 don't pray with false motives. I can't help it at times. Don't give for, for false uh, motives. I, I have struggle with that. Man, I'm really good at loving my friends but despising my enemies. So we see the Sermon on the Mount and we struggle with this. We go, man, who can live like this? And this is the point of the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus is showing us that what he has come to bring is greater than religion. He's coming to bring a kingdom that sets back creation the way that God designed it and reorders human life in order to follow in his ways for creation so that his kingdom that is in heaven becomes a reality once again on earth. And when you read the, 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 the Sermon on the Mount, you're left with this declaration, who can do this? And the answer is simple. Jesus is saying, I can we can't, but he can. And this is why Jesus says to the disciples, you need a righteousness that's greater than the Pharisees. Why? Because the Pharisees were following man-made religion. What I'm calling you to, Jesus says, is a kingdom that transforms you from the inside out and you live so radically different from the rest of the world that you stand out in culture. And then Jesus is showing us this is a life that you cannot produce in and of yourself. You need a righteousness that's given to you. And here's the glorious news of the gospel. Jesus came and he nailed it. He nailed the Sermon on the Mount. Perfectly lived out the kingdom of God. And here's what he says. If you'll trust in me, my death, burial, and resurrection, I'll pay the price for your sin. If you'll trust in me, my righteousness will be given to you. 
right? My, my righteous, your sin is going to be given to me. My righteous given to you. And now when God, the father looks at you, he doesn't look at you as the failure who doesn't have the ability to live out the sermon on the Mount. He sees the perfection of his son that has clothed you now. And now because of the righteousness that's in you, that's been given by Jesus, you can live in right relationship with the father. But not only listen to this, does Jesus give us in this moment, the, the, the Holy spirit, I'm going to get an encourager over here, pray for our gentleman here. Um, not only do we have the, the righteousness given to us, but we have the gift of the Holy Spirit. We have the gift of the Holy Spirit. And this Holy Spirit transforms us from the inside out. It gives us the life of Jesus that enables us to walk in victory that enables us to live a life of godliness. Eyes right here just for a second, because the Spirit of God is moving right now. The Spirit of God is moving right now. And here's what, here's what the Holy Spirit does when he begins to move. He begins to stir in our hearts and convict us of our sin, to bring us to a place where we trust and depend upon Jesus. He does this work in us where he makes us aware that there's, there's something missing in our life, that we need a power that's not our own, and then he gives us this power. And listen, this is the point that Jesus is making. Jesus is showing us here that what, what you need to live the kingdom life is you need righteousness that's not yours, and I come to give it to you. And when I give you that righteousness, you don't even have the power with that righteousness to live righteously, so I'm also gonna give you the presence of my spirit to live inside of you, enabling you to do what you cannot do in and of yourself. And this is why we ask and we seek and we knock because God has given us in Christ everything we need and far too many Christians are living powerless lives because we think we can white knuckle ourselves into holiness and we fail time and time and time again. And Jesus is giving us an invitation. If you'll pray, if you'll seek me, if you'll knock, if you'll ask, I'll give you the Holy Spirit and he will do a work in your life. So here's, here's I'm gonna give you one phrase. And I'm gonna give you two applications. One phrase, write this down if you're taking notes. Here's, I think, the point of, of this section of scripture. Here it is, write this down. The Holy Spirit is the power by which the kingdom life is lived. And prayer is the means by which the Holy Spirit empowers us. The Holy Spirit is the power by which the kingdom life is lived, and prayer is the means by which the Holy Spirit empowers us. So I want to break this apart into two phrases because we'll be fine in this passage here. What Jesus is emphasizing here is that we need Holy Spirit power, that we need the power of God dwelling inside of us to enable us to live this life he's calling us to live. We need an outpouring, an outworking of the Holy Spirit. You see, we don't have the ability. Let's be honest. I don't. Let me just confess. I struggle loving those who hurt me. I do. Like my, my natural knee-jerk reaction, I want walls to come up. I'm gonna stiff arm you. I'm gonna avoid you. If I, one of my sin tendencies is this, is that I hate rejection. I hate rejection because I like life at times to be about me. So when I feel someone's rejecting me, what am I gonna do? I'm stiff arming them. And it's hard for me. I'll find reasons not to like them. They're too honest for you in the room. 
And so that's not, my, my knee-jerk reaction is that. So you know what I need? I need a power greater than my natural responses. I need a nature that's beginning craft himself inside of me through the Holy Spirit so that I begin to respond differently. I have a hard time living generously. So what I need, if I'm called to a generous life, I need something that's greater than my natural dispositions. And I could go on and on and on about my struggles. You could go on and on about your struggles. So when you look at the Sermon on the Mount, you look, I can't do this. What I need, I need a power that's not mine. And this is what Jesus is saying is at our disposal. Listen to what Paul says. This is important. This is, this is liberating right here. Galatians chapter five, verse 16 says this. But I say, walk by the Spirit and you will, listen to this, not, if I say not, you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. But I say, walk in the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires. Do you hear the promise that's here? There's this command Walk by the Spirit. What does that mean? Live in the power of the Holy Spirit that is in you. Walk, keep in step with the Spirit. Let the Spirit of God lead you, guide you, fill you, control you. And here is the promise that's attached to that. When the Holy Spirit is walked in and he's at work in your life, here's the promise. You will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. Do you realize, believer, this is life-changing. Do you realize that a life of victory is at your disposal every single time? You can walk, you can say no to the flesh and walk in victory every single time. And there's only one way in which that happens. Walk by the Spirit. So here's the great news for you. You can walk in victory. Here's the bad news for you. Most of us choose not to. See, so why do I fall? Why do I fail? Why do I? It's because we think we can do this. Because we think we have the power in and of ourselves. You see, uh, we have this tendency like we'll, we'll live and we'll, we'll, we'll fail and we sin and then we'll go, what do we do? I'll make promises to God. I won't do it again. I'm gonna try harder. I'm gonna work hard. I'm gonna read my Bible more. I'm gonna go to church more. I'm gonna try to get better friends. I'm gonna try to avoid certain places. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, and you can't. Uh. And that is why he says, you know, you can have victory just walk in the Spirit. So what does that look like? Keeping in step with the Spirit is simply this. As I'm walking, I'm letting the Spirit of God fill my life continually, keeping in step. So when those temptations come, when those feelings come, when those impulses come, I recognize there's a power in me greater than my impulses. And in that moment, I walk in the Spirit and not in the flesh. It's moment by moment. When those thoughts come, when those feelings come, when those urges come, when that word wants to come out, In that moment, at the Spirit of God, I would depend and rely on him. And here's what he says. Every single time, you will not gratify the flesh. He goes on to say this. Paul would emphasize this later on about the life of the Spirit. He says this in verse 22. He says, but the fruit of the Spirit, so when you walk in the Spirit, the Spirit is going to produce this, this fruit. The, the, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. So what is Paul doing here? He's telling us simply this, that when you walk by the Spirit, the Spirit is gonna produce the life of Jesus through you. So the, the fruit of the Spirit, I mean, how many of y'all have ever heard of the fruit of the Spirit? The problem with most of us when we read the fruit of the Spirit, we read this 
and separate it from what he says in verse 16 when he says, walk in the spirit. So most of us, we try to be more loving. We try to be more patient. We try to have more gentleness. We try to have more patience. How many of y'all are failing there? So we try, we white knuckle ourselves, thinking, okay, I gotta have more fruit of the spirit. Fruit is not pushed out of your life. It's produced through your life. I've said this before preaching this passage. You never see a fruit tree straining at the limbs trying to pop fruit out. And when you find the life in the tree just naturally produces it. So what does that mean? So let me tell you what the fruit of the Spirit is. You ready for it? This is all gonna connect to Matthew 7. The fruit of the Spirit, when he says love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goes through all that list, the, the fruit of the Spirit is a word picture that describes the life of Jesus. That's what it is. The, the fruit of the Spirit is a word picture describing the life of Jesus. So in essence, what Paul is saying, do you want the life of Jesus produced through you? Do you want his life to reign in you where it's evident in your life? What's the answer? Walk by the Spirit and the life of Jesus will naturally come out of you. And the reason most of us live powerless lives, the reason most of us struggle and we're not joyful and we don't have peace and we don't have genuine love and we don't have gentleness and we don't have patience and the reason we don't share our faith with those around us and the reason we're not living the kingdom life is simply this. Most of us are trying to live this life on our own strength and own power and we don't have what it takes. We need the Holy Spirit. So then the question is, how do we experience the Holy Spirit? How do we experience the Holy Spirit? Well, it's the last part of that statement. Listen to this. The Holy Spirit is the power by which the kingdom life is lived. And listen, prayer is the means by which the Holy Spirit empowers us. Jesus is commanding us here very simply, ask, seek, and knock. This is a call, an invitation, a command to pray. Pray for what? To pray for the Holy Spirit. So at conversion, we have the Holy Spirit. Praise God for that. He makes us alive. It means we're born again. We're born of the Spirit. The Spirit of God lives inside of us. The problem is, is that we have the Spirit of God, but what we've got to understand is that the life of a believer is not just a life that possesses the Spirit, but a life where the Spirit increasingly possesses us, fills us, pours out himself afresh on us, causing more godliness, that the Holy Spirit is the third part of the Trinity, which means that the Holy Spirit is an, un an unexhaustible person that has more of him than we could ever imagine in this lifetime. And what we're needing is a fresh working continually of him in our life. And Jesus is inviting us. He's saying, hey, ask, seek, Knock, and I will give you more of the Holy Spirit in your life to work afresh in you, to do things he's never done before, to empower you in ways you've never been empowered before. This is the invitation that Jesus has given us. And this is so important. You see, here's what I've come to learn in my own life, and I've seen it in our church. A prayerless Christian is a powerless Christian. A prayerless Christian is a powerless Christian, we don't have what it takes. We need the good things. We need the Holy Spirit. I told you, um, I told you a little bit ago the story. I went to AutoZone, and uh, I got my battery fixed on my truck. And when he replaced the battery, truck cranked up. It's great. I mean, things were running great, and I killed it. 
He says, is there anything else you need? I was like, yeah, I got a brake light out. He said, you know what? Let me just pop that in for you. I said, sweet. So he gets back in the back. It's the dome brake light and he's replacing it. And he says, hey, go pump the brake. And when I went over to the door, something happened. The door was locked. And that's not a problem. The problem is the keys weren't in my pocket. They were in the ignition. And it's not supposed to lock. I got this little, little uh, glitch in my, my key fob. And I, I, so he's locked in it. I'm not going to tell you what happened. A little hour later, I'm in. Had a dude help me. Apparently, he's done this before. Um, <laughs> professionally, but not necessarily technically professionally. Um, he brought all these tools. And I'm like, I'm not asking questions. Thank you. Um, and, uh, and so I got in my truck. What, what was the problem in that moment? My truck had fuel. My truck had an engine that ran. It even had a battery source, a power source for it. The problem was I didn't have the key to access the power that was available. And here's what we learn in the scriptures. Prayer is the key that God has given us to access the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And you see it. This is the reason I believe that Luke emphasizes this in his gospel, where he talks about praying for the Holy Spirit and the Father gives that because his sequel to Luke is the book of Acts, where he is gonna write to Theophilus, the same recipient of Luke, and talk about this is what the church and believers look like when they ask for the Holy Spirit and he fills them. It's a church on mission. It's people who live and pursue Jesus with everything. And you see continually through the book of Acts that the church being filled more and more and more on an ongoing basis with the Spirit and doing more and more powerful things for the kingdom, not in their strength because they understood they were desperate without Jesus and they needed supernatural power. And so what did they do? They prayed and they pursued him and they sought him and they knocked on the door and Jesus every time answered and gave them more of the Holy Spirit. And here's the thing, church, look at me for a second. You're not JV. You're not second class Christians. The same God that saved Peter, James, and John and filled them with his spirit is the same God that has saved you. And the same power manifested in their lives, enabling them to turn the world upside down, is the same power that's dwelling inside of you if you are a believer. The difference between Peter, James, and John and you and me is that they believed that prayer mattered and they knew that if they prayed, God would answer and fill them and give them a supernatural power. The difference between Peter, James, and John, they understood how desperate they were and how empty they were without the Holy Holy Spirit, but how powerful they could be with him. And what we have got to do is we've got to stop thinking, well, that's Bible and understand, listen, it's the same God, same gospel, same spirit. And it's available to you and me. So what does it look like? Here's the, what does it look like? Here are the two applications I want to give. So what does it look like to pray? So if it's Holy Spirit, it's the power of the kingdom life. And uh, and prayer is the means by which the Holy Spirit empowers us. What does prayer look like? Jesus gives us a couple of pictures, two phrases to write down. Very simple, very short. Just write these down. Number one is this. Prayer is to be continual, not occasional. Prayer is to be a continual, not occasional. Now, here's what I mean by this. He says, ask and it'll be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it'll be open to you. Now, something in the English language translation that we don't see is that not only is ask, seek, knock imperative, it's a command, 
but it's also in the present tense. That simply means it's an ongoing habitual thing that we are commanded to do. So it's asking and asking and asking and seeking and seeking and seeking and knocking and knocking and knocking. It's a continual process, habitual thing that we are called to do. It is not to be an occasional thing. It is to be a continual thing. Prayer is to be a way of life for believers. This is what Paul says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 17. He says, pray without ceasing. Pray without ceasing. Now, does that mean that I've got to bow my head and fold my hands and get on my knees and find a corner and just sit continually because nothing's getting done if that's the case? Now, here's what that means. It may mean that you start your day like that, and there are day, times of the day that you may have to get in that posture because you need to focus your attention. But praying continually means that I might start my day like that and end my day like that, but in between the start and the end, there's this abiding in the spirit of continual conversation. God, this thought's coming. I need your spirit to give me strength to overcome it. God, I gotta have this conversation. It's gonna be hard. Everything in me wants to say something wrong, but God, I'm asking you to give me words that are from you. God, I'm having this feeling toward this person. God, would you give me grace and extend it? God, I've got to make some decisions and I'm not sure how to honor you in this. I want to seek your kingdom. And so spirit, I need your spirit to fill me in this moment. That's what Paul means when he says pray continually. And that's, so it's this constant asking, seeking, knocking as we navigate through life. Paul also says this in Ephesians chapter six, verse 18, praying at all times in the spirit. That's, how, that's what it means to pray without ceasing. It is to pray continually in the spirit. So there's this constant communing that's happening between me and God as I'm asking for his spirit to fill me and to lead me and to guide me. This is what Paul means when he says walk in the spirit or keep in step with the spirit. And here's the simple truth. Ready for it? We've got to recognize that today's filling of the spirit is insufficient for tomorrow's challenges. that I need the Holy Spirit today, moment by moment, to fill me for what's in front of me. And then tomorrow, for those challenges, I'm gonna need more of him, and I'm gonna continue to need more of him. It, it, it's not in this situation where you go to the fuel pump and you just kind of fuel up a little bit and see how far you can get and have to gas up again. And that's how most of us live our Christian life. So this is corporate prayer, this is private prayer. Those things are important. We need to gather and pray as the people. You need to have times in the day, in the morning where you pray. But all in between that, there is this continually being refilled by the Spirit as we make it through our day. Here's number two. So prayer is to be continual and not occasional. Prayer is to be active, not passive. Prayer is to be active and not passive. Here's what I mean by this. Listen to this. He says, ask, seek, knock. Little progression there, right? Ask, I'm gonna look for it, I'm gonna knock, I'm gonna, I'm gonna see if the door will be open for me. All of this is active language. In other words, prayer is not this mumble a few phrases to God and hope that things work for the best. Or just saying, I know you'll give me strength. That's how many of us pray and we wonder why we don't have strength. Because what we're commanded to do is not passively, almost our prayers are almost hopes that he'll do something. What God's called us to do is ask and ask and ask and seek and seek and knock and knock. Actively pursue him as the call. Something that we engage in, something that we're passionate about. 
God, I need you in my life. I need you in this moment. I need your words. I need your thoughts. I need you to move. Would you open this door? Would you help me find what it is that you need for me in this morning? At this moment, God, I'm asking for you to give me the grace that I need. You're constantly, actively pursuing what the Holy Spirit has for you in each circumstance in life. And this is a game changer. This is a game changer. Here's what I've learned in my life these past few months. Desperate people pray desperate prayers. And people who are content pray in a way that lacks desperation. The great enemy of the church in America right now, listen to me, eyes right here for a second. The great enemy of the church in America is not that our worship services will cease and not that the word of God will not be preached. The great danger of the church of Jesus Christ is not that we're not gonna have buildings and be able to gather and have ministries and programs. Do you realize the enemy is perfectly fine with us singing about Jesus, preaching about Jesus, and having programs centered around Jesus? He could care less. You know what he doesn't want? He doesn't want us to pray. Because the Holy Spirit's power is accessible through prayer. He doesn't care if we sing. He doesn't care if we preach. He doesn't care about all those things, our programs. And most churches have found a way to do what they do without the power of the Holy Spirit. And I don't know about you. I don't want that for me personally. And I don't want that for us corporately. I don't know the power of God and the salvation for those who believe. So here's what we're gonna do on both campuses. I'm gonna ask you to do me a favor. Very reverently on both campuses, I'm gonna get you to stand to your feet. We're gonna have a time of worship and response on both campuses. Very reverently, just stand to your feet. I'm asking you not to gather your stuff, just to stand, set your stuff down. And let's really lean into what Jesus has for us this morning. So here are the, here's the, the two things I want you to wrestle with. Both of our campuses. Number one, there are some of you and you don't have the Holy Spirit because you've never been born again. You have religion, you've prayed a prayer, you've maybe been baptized, but you've never been born again. You've never been given a new heart. And you wonder why it is that you do all these things for God but still feel empty inside and you still feel powerless. It's because somewhere along the way, we think if we pray a prayer and we get dunked, that that's, that's what salvation is. But salvation is not just praying a prayer. Now you can get saved by praying a prayer. You can be born again by praying a prayer, but that's not it. This, being born again is the only way by which we're saved. Jesus says, unless a man or a woman is born again, they cannot enter the kingdom of God. What that simply means is, is that you've trusted Christ and in that moment, you are made alive because you are born afresh by his spirit filling you. And if you have never experienced that in your life, this morning is the time for you. Maybe for the first time to trust Jesus and be born again, to be made new. Others of you in the room, you know Christ, but if the truth of your life would be known, you're not walking in the fullness of the spirit. The life of Christ is not truly being, I'm talking about the power of God in your life, leading you to a life on mission, leading you to kingdom living Monday through Saturday. That's not your life, but it can be. 
if you'll just ask for the Holy Spirit. And so we're gonna have a time for those of you who need to receive the Holy Spirit and be saved, for those of you who want more of the Holy Spirit and are saved to ask him to fill you. What if today was the beginning for you of a life of pursuing the Holy Spirit on a continual basis and experiencing the power that he has in your life? I pray that that's the case for all of us. So I'm gonna pray when I say amen. Pastor Matt's gonna step on stage at our Gilmer campus and lead through this time, and I'm gonna lead you here in love you. And we're gonna walk in obedience to whatever God has for us this morning. Father, I'm asking now in the name of Jesus that you would move in power. Lord, I pray for those who need to be born again that they would have the boldness to experience new life. If there are some even now, God, that are, that are feeling the stirring, they need to be saved, they need to be baptized, need to trade in some prayer for genuinely being born again. And I pray that that would happen, Lord. And for those who need just a fresh power, they know you, they're just walking in, in, in defeat or not walking in the full power that you have for them. God, may this be a service that defines their life. We ask this in Jesus' name.